When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that's been pied many a time in Motherwell, but never quite so literally. This week on Heart and Hand, Scott Arfield is a hat-trick hero. Welcome to Art and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar. I'm your host, as always, and I'm joined this week by the doyen of Heart and Hand Poddles. Yes, it's none other than Mr. Cameron James Bell. How are you, my friend? I'm super, David. How are you? I am all the better for Rangers getting a win, and it's it's amazing how much that improves your mood of a Sunday. Uh, I could sit down last night, watch Line of Duty in peace. Everything was all good. Can't really talk about it on here in case people haven't seen it yet. You know, spoilers and all that. So. Uh, Probably should. There are people just ga- jumping for their devices as we speak right now, Cammy, going, no, no, no. So we won't. And, we won't if, and in fact, you shouldn't be watching BBC programmes, but okay, we'll skip by that quite quite quickly as well. I don't see why not. I pay for it. Mm, My mm. problem isn't that I pay for it, isn't that I watch BBC programmes. It's that I can't watch enough of them because uh, of their refusal to do their job properly. True, but basically, you are. Do you remember what we used to do years and years ago? We used to do like the Bullet for the IRA segment on mm. the podcast. Basically, you are funding Michael Stewart's villa in the south of France. That's what you're doing, David. And as long as you can live with yourself doing that, then that's perfectly acceptable. From the money that they pay, um, the BBC <laughs> shortbread, mate, I don't think he could have a villa in Pennycook in all, in all well, fairness. So. He, can't, he can't pay enough to have his eyelashes trimmed anyway. The you really hate his eyelashes, it. don't you? They're disgusting, David. I don't understand. It's like when you see someone who, and like if they've got a bogey hanging or something, they say, look, mate, do you want to maybe blow your nose or do you want to get rid of that or whatever? Or if they've got one really long hair that just kind of sticks out or whatever. No one in the BBC makeup team or, you know, even anyone close to him has actually told him about those fucking disgusting eyelashes. He needs to get them dealt with. His two eyes look like Venus flytraps. I hate them. I hate him. I hate you for funding his eyelashes, which is what you're doing. And you don't fund it, that's what you're saying? Uh, I can... BBC uh, snooper van listeners. Um, Cameron James Bell lives in Bathgate. 
I pay in shillings and pence so yeah. that they can't use my, my denominations. I, I pay my TV licence fee in gingy balls. Yeah, well, we're law-abiding Protestants, Cameron. Of course we're going to pay a license. Of course, might, my friend, might, of course. Might grumble about, might grumble about doing it, but we'll, we'll do it. But uh, we set off to the uh, cultural behemoth that is Motherwell. Um, yesterday, is it just me or is it always overcast in Motherwell any time we play? They're going back to the 80s. Yeah, the the sun has not shined there for a very, very long time. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's always a bit gloomy in Motherwell. Um, and it gives you the option of, of you know, really enjoying that fun time when you leave Motherwell. Yes, yes, um, always, it, a, always it, a highlight. It seems to have just kind of went in there since M&D's went in there. So as soon as you put a theme park near it, uh, that's when you know you're going to get shit weather. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what's happened to Motherwell. The few ideas I think I find more depressing than the idea of a theme park in Scotland. Um can you imagine like the the ghost rides? Just a guy, a, a pissed guy, standing up and going fucking boo. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind and and stuff like that. So, um, I was a little frightened. Uh, nice segue when I saw the team lineup yesterday because uh, I couldn't quite fathom out how it was going to work initially with um, Ryan Kent uh, suspended. In came Daniel Kindeas, and I thought, oh, that's a shame because Scott Arfield had played so well in that role the other night. But to be fair to the gaffer, he moved Scott Arfield across. And again, they played differently, Cameron, as they had done against Hearts to what we've maybe seen this season, where, yes, we've got two wide attackers, but they weren't hugging the touchline. It wasn't this rigid 4-3-3. The midfield, again, was a lot more fluid with Stephen Davis just sitting in front of the back four and anchoring everything. Uh, in a really calm way, and they got close to Jermaine Defoe, which caused Motherwell a lot of problems as it had hearts that you could tell their defence didn't quite know who they were supposed to go with, what they were supposed to do. And one of the problems that I've found with Rangers this season that I've been frustrated about is our rigidity, uh, and that's led to a certain predictable playing style at times at club. You've just the feeling that that other clubs have, have had sussed out, and I think the results bear that out, to be honest. But... The last two matches, and particularly uh, yesterday, Rangers controlled the midfield, let the home team come at them, and when they did, just clinically picked them off. And in the end, it was a really, really comfortable win. Yeah, I mean, it was. And um, as sad as it might sound, it's good to get back to routine wins, which, um, you know, for us should become a bit of a formality. We shouldn't go to model as we've had to do in recent seasons. And and, and really put an extraordinary amount of effort in to be able to try and get a result. Uh, I agree, I think it felt a little bit more slightly like a like a bit of a kind of pincer set up where the, 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 the wide men were certainly coming into the middle of the park a lot more. Um, certainly aided by the slightly more team-orientated play, I think, of Defoe rather than Morello. So, as I say, I know has has created plenty of assists um, but Defoe's certainly, you know, willing to drop back a little bit further to be able to pick up the ball. And if there's an overlap occurring as a result of that, then, then as I say, we looked a bit more uh, fluid being able to do that. Um, all in all, I think it was a pretty good day at the office. We'll obviously come on to, I think, where we had some concerns defensively. Um, but I thought going forward, we looked, we looked really good. I thought we looked really dynamic. And we can prove that if we have to go through next season with life after Alfredo Morelos that we've we've certainly got a lot of options and uh, the star man obviously was Scott Arfield with three terrific finishes yesterday um, he's revelled in this role over the past few days and he seems to have been 
given a bit more, maybe with having the extra midfielder in there, that he doesn't have quite the same amount of defensive work as we've been used to seeing him carry out. Uh, he's been free to play, as I say, in, in this sort of strange area if you're a defender where you you know is does the centre half come out and mark him? Does a midfielder drop back? Does a full back tuck in? Um and he's exploited that ruthlessly the last couple of games. Three terrific finishes yesterday, Cami. Yeah, I mean he has and I think he almost wants to operate between that kind of from the, the edge of the eighteen yard box to probably about another twenty yards in front of that. So not quite um, you know, all the way back to, to our halfway line, but he wants to operate within that zone. And as you say, it's quite difficult. It, I think if you were to to mark him, you would have to have a dedicated sweeper, um, as you say, probably sitting between the midfielders and the defence in order to be able to to just deal purely with Scott Arfield, um, because he will penetrate when he has to, um, in terms of being able to try and come into the box and get the end of runs, etc. And and he's done that really well. I know that he's he's played a lot of games, and I think. When we were looking at the end of the last year, we were looking forward to probably getting him into the break and getting him a bit of a rest and all that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if he fully got a, a decent recovery period. Um, obviously, we were away at the training camp, etc. as well. And I think that he, he does need a bit of a break in terms of the, the, the season finishing up and stuff. And I think that we can start very strongly with him coming into that position at the beginning of the next season to... I think probably just to cause their defence a lot of problems and, and, and cause a lot of um, off-the-cuff runs, if you like, which, as you say, someone is going to have to deal with. And I think that will cause a lot of problems for a lot of, a lot of defences. Yeah, something that we've spoken about before, that he was probably our only midfielder who is good at making that, that late run into the box or, or getting in there and, and backing up Alfredo. But in too many games, because we've you know had... Uh, up against three in midfield, he's dropped back naturally to help us win the ball, and that's that's left to the gap. When you've got a striker like Alfredo, who's you know the type that will go barreling uh, all around his half to try and to win the ball and make something happen, then that's okay. But when you've got someone like Jermaine Defoe, he really needs that support. And, and Daniel Kandias did it very well as well. Somebody that I, I think we're more used to seeing in a much wider position. He tucked in as well yesterday and had a good game. And another thing that impressed me yesterday, Cami, was the pressing. It wasn't all the time. Um, it wasn't you know ninety minutes right in Motherwell's face. They chose the moments to do it, but when they did it, they did it together. And that is something that. I love to see because the second goal absolutely comes from that, that Motherwell have the ball in their own corner. The next thing, Rangers are on them, they panic, the ball comes to Ryan Jack and boom, it's, it's 3-0. And I bet you from a coach's point of view that Beal and, and Stevie G and Gary McAllister were looking at that and just delighted because that's clearly something that they work on, um, the gaffers mentioned. And I think by this stage of the season, you can't really expect the players to be pressing solid for 90 minutes. It's when to do it. Um, and Motherwell yesterday just couldn't handle it. It's probably our best pressing game, in my opinion, since the Celtic game at Ibrox. Um, where you don't give them any real room or quarter. Um, don't get wrong, I mean, you're right, it, it, it happened in specific parts of the game, it happened very, very well, and in other parts of the game, we probably let ourselves down a little bit. But when we did it, and we did it properly, it, it completely overwhelmed Motherwell. Um, you can't maintain that level of press against every team all the time, but you don't have to. You don't, you don't, there isn't a requirement to do that against every team, because... Um, teams will want you to be able to try and do that so they can pass the ball from out from under your feet. So I think it's good, but then I think um, 
when you look back at the season as a whole, you're hoping that the coaching staff that you've just mentioned there will learn from the games and the experience and the exposure that they've had in this first initial season. Uh, that against teams like Motherwell, being able to do the high press against them will, will win you games. Um, and being able to do it so comfortably away from home as well is actually a big thing because um, sometimes you can you can lose your way slightly if, if you know that you've got to do that high press against your opposition um, in their own backyard. That can be really difficult. It feels far more like you, you can dictate that when you're doing it in your own stadium. But when you're away from home, sometimes you've got to amend that slightly. Like we really had any concerns of that at all yesterday. Um, and as I say, we, we forced Motherwell to have to either make mistakes or do something exceptional and uh, exceptional in order to, to get out from under us. Um, so again, very positive in terms of some lessons there for the coaching staff and um, some good takeaways, I think. A guy who has been on the end of some criticism and on here too, so we do like to... We love the opportunity, in fact, to, to give praise when there's somebody like that. And that's John Flanagan, who, after, an I thought, a reasonable start, fell away really badly, really quickly, and, in fact, has, has found himself completely out of the first-team picture with, uh, obviously, Borna Barisic and even Andy Halliday, who's not a fullback ahead of him for that position. But he had to come in on Wednesday, did well, kept his place yesterday, and up against a tricky opponent in Kieran Hasty, I, I thought acquitted himself really well. He looks fitter to me, Cammy. He, he does, but then I, I thought a couple of times he was he was culpable of of showing Hasty inside, which is is you can't do when you're playing as a fullback. Um, it was a tough game for him to be able to come back in for it. I, I don't. I, I think that that's where, obviously, personally speaking, I think we would have played Halliday. Um, but it was good for Flanagan to get some of that experience. Um, I'm, I'm not sold on him. You're right, he can play well. But for me, left-back feels a lot like probably one position in the in the team where it is very much up for grabs, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. No, I no, think definitely. It's, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's attainable if you can play there that you could make quite a strong case that you could, because you've got other positions in the park. Right-back's a great example. Goalkeeping, for example where you're just not going to shift these guys who are there. It's just not going to happen. Um, but I think left-back is probably one of the areas where we can really get that. So Flanagan, I, I, I'm not sold on him. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know if... I mean, he, don't get me wrong, he did play in spates well um, on Sunday against Motherwell. And I, um, I think there was other times as well where he made some, some pretty basic errors, which and I, I, it sounds harsh on him, but I would expect players who have been out of the squad for quite a wee while, out of the team for quite a while, just to come back in and make naturally just what happens. It's it's why players always talk about game time versus training time versus recovery time, etc. Playing in the nine minutes is totally match different. Sharpness as opposed to just absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's 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 absolutely right. And I think that um, that's probably where he struggled slightly. And as you say, he did have his his hands full. Um, I, I I don't know whether or not we, we're we're in a space where we would let him play for the remaining games out with probably Aberdeen and Celtic, just to give them some more some more um, some more game time. I, I don't know. I'm not as I say, I'm I'm not sold on them unfortunately. In that area, it's just as an aside, um there was an article I think that, that was being shared about social media yesterday from one of the papers, um suggesting that Rangers should be giving Lee Wallace a, a bigger send off. I think it's pretty apparent he's gonna be leaving the club this summer as his contract expires. I think it's also very clear that he's fourth choice. 
left back and there was maybe a groundswell of opinion among some fans that he should possibly get some minutes at Ibrox towards the end of the season as a send-off. What's your opinion on that? As far as I'm concerned, all the rest of the games this season now are pretty much a free hit. Um, I think it would be nice if Lee Wallace did get an opportunity to say goodbye to the fans at Ibrox because he won't be here next season um, for time served and also for his captaincy and um, what's probably been one of the toughest periods in the club's history. Um, there are other issues about Lee Wallace, which I do not like, and hence the reason as to why I'm not sad to see him go. Um, but again, like I say, I do feel that he does deserve a proper send-off. And for me, I would give him that if it's going to be you know, coming on as a sub or potentially starting a game or whatever, because let's face it, we don't really have much else left to play for now. Um, out with Aberdeen and Celtic, I would say, yeah, I'd be happy for him to feature in any of those games, but I would like him to do it at Ibrox, and if it can be a, a full stadium for him, then it gives him a nice send-off, and then away you go, and that's probably just for sen- sentimentality. I think that anything else other than that, um, we could just go about our, our, our responsibilities professionally, and I think we'll do that, especially in the old form game. Uh, I would just like to see him get a decent send-off, and then it's the end of that chapter. Mm. I should point out that it's Jake Hasty, not Kieran Hasty. He's one yeah, of the I was, was going to I was going to come back to that, but we've uh, we've <laughs> we kind of moved on since then. Yeah, but Kieran. Listen, Kieran Hasty's a great player, Hoggy. You're absolutely right. Yes, thank you, Ross Jack and, and Kieran Hasty were the, the, the star men yesterday. But uh, yeah, I mean, as Cammy says, it's a pretty solid routine three 0 victory. Something we haven't had enough of this season. If we'd been able to turn what what four matches that really should have been like this then we'd be in a title race at the moment but alas we are where we are and it's about finishing this season strongly and moving into next season with a bit of momentum now speaking of momentum um there was plenty behind the things that were hurled at james tavernier in the the usual corner where motherwell have their um kind of <laughs> it's sort of like uh uh, kindergarten ultra section where there's all these wee boys in uh, black jackets with their, their scars on their faces um, but off the top of my head Cammy that corner in recent years has seen uh, Sasa Papach in the end of some really really sickening abuse it's seen James Tavernier struck repeatedly with coins it saw Lee McCulloch um, poked in the eye with a flag this is not new. And yeah, yesterday, nothing was done about it. After he's been hit with a lighter, there were other things continuing. While the referee is holding the lighter, there are other things still being thrown at him. There's a picture that James Tavernier shared on his social media, which shows him gesturing to the referee that things are still coming. And behind him, there's a big bank of stewards just standing watching. We're hearing a lot of stuff in Scottish football about... Uh, strict liability and about oh we need to do this and we need to do that here's an idea how about the people who are already in the game and who are paid to do something about it do their fucking jobs yep absolutely um it bewilders me it absolutely bewilders me i don't know david if you've ever done this thing where it kind of came up a few years ago where like if you've been at a, a semi-final or a cup final or whatever it's like a promo thing that you can do on like social media where if you put in like your seat number, it will immediately come up with a photograph of you during the game. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like, yeah, you can do that. 
But yet, bizarrely, we can provide technology like that for PR marketing purposes. But for player safety, um, we, we draw an absolute grey area, as it turns out. Um, we're not hypocrites in heart and hand. So let's not say that we are standing in a soapbox here and saying that we've not been guilty of things like this beforehand. We know that. But as far as I'm concerned, anyone who takes coins, lighters, pies, coconuts, half-litre bottles of Buckfast and decides to throw it at a player are not football fans. You're not a Rangers fan, you're not a Motherwell fan, you're not a Celtic fan. You're basically just not able to control your own faculties. And that's not acceptable in a footballing environment. It's not It's not acceptable in, a, in any stadium at all. Um, and your problem with this is that you're right, you've got stewards who are standing there. Now, I know uh, I'm not fighting the good fight for stewards. I know that there's a limitation as to regards what stewards can do, which is why typically if you've ever been close to any any action like this, what happens is the stewards will go in initially and then after that they're usually joined by coppers. Um, if you're going to have dedicated sections like the Motherwell section, for example, then that has to be more regularly policed. If you're a club that has to pay more to bring more police into the stadium in order for that to happen, then whether you choose to pass it on to the fans or that group or however you choose to do it makes no difference. But something has to be done as a result of this because um, what I'm seeing now, and, and I would always have taken this approach, if I'm being perfectly honest, where typically, if and, and you and I are huge fans of satire, David, right? So you can have a hugely, hugely horrible, horrible subject. And typically you've seen it disarmed and hopefully evaporate by comedy, by people taking the piss out of it until it becomes such an irrelevance that actually it just never, ever appears on the radar again. That's not going to happen here. And we can't have this as Chris Boyd saying in social media, yeah, but hit with a coin, therefore I've got my arm strapped up and it's a joke, versus Neil Lennon getting hit with a coin and collapsing to the ground. Um, you can't turn around and say that a lighter doesn't weigh as much as a coconut, therefore a coconut is more serious than a lighter, because let's face it, this isn't fucking Monty Python and the Holy Grail here, do you know what I mean? And mm. We're not talking about weight ratios, etc. The difference with this is you can't throw things, doesn't matter what it is, and they, if they need to step in now and say, if you're found to be throwing things, it's it's a stand closure. It's it's behind closed doors. Something has to happen. This idea of this lack of culpability and then this lack of punishment happens. And I am never one. I'm just I hate this idea of fans grassing in each other. I'm never suggesting that fans should do that. I'm not going to a game to watch other people's behaviour. That's not why I'm paying thirty quid a ticket. What I want to do is I want to go along there and enjoy myself. And if you're going to tell me that fans are going to be doing this kind of thing without repercussion, it will not get better. So someone has to step in and someone has to do something about it. Um, whether it's the clubs themselves and they then in, uh, enforce their own fans through a punishment, but how will you possibly get 12 SPL clubs to be able to deal, like you know, to come to some sort of unified agreement as to what that punishment should be? It won't happen. So the SFA, someone has to step in to be able to deal with this. Well, there was a, a positive sign in that direction, I suppose, with the uh, pitch invader who confronted James Tavernier at the Hibs match, jailed for 100 days and banned from football stadiums for 10 years. And to be honest, that's going to be more of a deterrent, I would have thought, than, oh, we might take some points off your club or whatever, because... Uh, you know, that while that's bad, and I'm sure the rest of the support will be unhappy with the individual, I mean, 
if you know that you go onto the pitch, there was a chap, uh, one of our subscribers, had said to me that they had a spate of this in Australia a few years ago with pitch invaders and people approaching the players. Um, and what they did to get rid of it in that um, uh, draconian Aussie style is they brought in fines of 10 grand. And he said and it soon stopped when people knew that that was the cost of doing it. So I'd prefer... Was this, sorry, was, was that to the individual or was that to the club? To the individual. Right, okay, sorry. Right, it cost you. If you did it, um, yeah. then you were you, you got the fine automatic. If you were on a football pitch, um, or, or rather an Aussie rules pitch. So it might be, be something to look at with regards there. But um, it just puzzles me because, you know, Who's kind of getting ready to go to the game? And he's like, right, wallet, keys, ticket, phone. Oh, nearly forgot my phone. Coconut, right, I'm ready. <laughs> it's just a bizarre list to have going into the ground. I do wonder how he got a coconut into a ground, especially in a derby, because, you know, we all we all know if you've been to any derby match, that security is generally a bit tighter. Um, and anybody who's had the audacity to try and get a bottle of coke into... Uh, and Tyrox yeah. will know that it's you know so how we got a coconut in there. I have no idea. It's 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 impressive. Um, I, I really hope that uh, whoever it was comes forward and explains how he did it. Um, because I'm sure there won't be any repercussions as a result of it. I think. Um, but but then you mentioned it there, and I know that's also been said by some broadcasters as well that um, you know, we, we need to um, uh, implement tougher security sanctions and potential searches. Now, first of all, the people who say these things have press access to the game, right? They don't even queue to get into the stadium, much less queue and then be searched. So they don't know what they're talking about. Bringing in searches is horrendous because when you deal with games, especially games like Easter Road, for example, the the, the, the queuing facilities and turnstile facilities are horrendous anyway. If you want to exacerbate that problem by making two, three, four thousand fans have to go through searches before you get in, then it's just going to become chaos. It will absolutely become chaos. And personally speaking, I think could could start to cause some real public disorder. If you know that you've travelled 60 or 70 miles to get to a game and that you've got to be there by 2 o'clock in order to be able to get in for a 3 o'clock kickoff, and then if that is not going to happen, because let's say there's not enough um, uh, safety staff at the ground to be able to conduct those searches, you're going to miss that kickoff. I'm telling you for a fact, things will happen. So that's not an answer either. Um, so whether or not you start to, to punish the individual by prison sentences or you start to punish the clubs or whatever by potential stand closures by, I don't know, closed door games. I don't know how you do it. Um, but you can't take this as a joke any longer. I'm sorry. At the end of the day, I can have a laugh and a joke with everyone else as well. But th- this is getting too frequent. Um and, and becoming too widespread that we can't just contain it to a single club any longer or a single set of supporters. Um, something needs to be done by it. Because, it's listen, it's making a mockery of a game which, frankly, needs a PR boost, not this shite carrying on. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, um, just as a wee aside, that's uh, why no matter what measure um, is taken in America, walls or whatever, that you'll never stop the flow of drugs into America from Mexico because... Um, 80% of them are brought through in cars and trucks that go through the the official checkpoints. But there's a, a a truck goes through every three seconds. So if they did stop and search every single truck, they would just kill their economy. 
because business <laughs> was going to a halt. So it's it's kind of half and half, you know. It's it's, it's you you stop some of the elite by a tiny percentage. So it's it's a kind of catch twenty two. That's why I kind of often feel a bit sorry for um, these drug enforcement guys because what are they meant to do? You know, um, to let, they know where the drugs are, but if they were to stop every single truck and and search it, then it's kind of like that argument that people are the only way you're going to stop drug trade is uh, when people stop taking drugs. Anyway, that's not why we are here. It's not not here to discuss that sort of thing. I was just offering a bit of advice, by the way. I wasn't being political. I wasn't saying, you know, it's just, you know, on, I was on, trying to help. On, no, but I know, and I get that, but on that note, when we're finished with this, can you um, send me the cash here, Jimmy, for that uh, two gram of coconut that I sent you? Yes, exactly. Um, coconut and Cowinin would be treated, I think, with the, the reverence of, of you know, wow, what's that? It's white stuff. It's apparently magic. You take it and it makes you feel great. No, um, I, I don't think we've seen many of that sort of thing did here. Um, <laughs> okay, moving on then. Rangers had their Player of the Year awards last year, and it was a good night for Alfredo Morelos, who won the Sam English Trophy for top scorer. Also won the Players Player of the Year and the Fans Player of the Year. Cameron, was he your choice? And if not, who would have been? It's tough for me not to say... Um a certain player from the Black Skull. But yeah, listen, of course he was. No, nah, of course he was. Um, it's why we, we we love him and hate him and, and, and kind of not too disparate measure because of the, the, but we the, don't the very hate simple reasons. We the don't, wrong choice of word. We love him and we, occasionally we get frustrated. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't hate him, I'm just disappointed. That's just before, let's, you let's, get a, that's just before the Twitter storm of can we say he hated the Rangers? But I'm just trying yeah. to save you. Thank you, and I appreciate that. But um, yeah, I'm being very helpful today. Donald Trump, I, give me a phone, I'll help you. Can you give me say, a phone? Yeah, you're, 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 you're certainly putting yourself out there more than you. I, I actually like the Trumpian idea of a wall, not so much there because, as I say, it won't work. But I'd like one if he wants to build a wall around my house, that would be great. Yeah, to, but you'd have to let certain access in, like dog walkers and, and know, you know, uh, fast food delivery. If I can control access, that's great. Some sort of drawbridge would be in order. Yeah. Yeah, eventually, David, the podcast will take off so much you can just buy your own castle and, and do away with having to have contact with the outside world unless it's in your terms. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm, okay. just, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm just. I'm, I'm just not as comfortable in a social setting as most people, and by social setting, I mean life. So uh, that that's probably works it for the better. But yeah, I think Alfie's had by far the best individual season of a player. And, and I thought it was interesting that he won the Players Player of the Award because we've had a few articles, troublemaking articles this week, telling us about how all the rest of the squad will be so pissed off at him. And look, in an individual match, I'm sure they were. And the manager spoke about it last week, that the players and him, and he apologised to the players. But I think they're aware of what he's done for them in times when... There's been times when he's the only one that looked as though he'd, he'd played football before, and I think that the, the rest of the squad recognised that. Yeah, and I think, but that's that's part of the conundrum because, um, and it's why you get that that frustration with him at times because if he's sitting in the stand or, um, you know, he, he, he picks up bookings and red cards for for daft reasons, right? Let's be honest. Um, you can understand as to why the players get needless reasons. No one. No one would have any kind of form issue if it was a case that he was missing games through injury or whatever, but because of the daft reasons as to why he's missed games because of suspensions, etc. Um, what we need to be able to get better at is ensuring that um, if he's here next season, that we absolutely farm that out of his game. But he totally deserves it. Of course, he totally deserves it. He, he, he's had a brilliant season and 
Um, again, as I say, I think that worst case scenario, if he does leave us, then I think he leaves with everybody's best wishes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, the other story of the night, if you haven't seen it, Alan McGregor, he won the John Gregg uh, Award and well done. And his interview after it suggested that he'd enjoyed the hospitality on sh- on show at the evening. Um, and another interesting thing, our, our correspondent at the event was Stuart McCall. And Stuart told me that the gaffer's signed training top went for 10 grand and was bought by none other than Connor Goldson, who, according to eyewitness reports, was said to be drunk and maybe waking up this morning and went, you know, I could just have look, gone up and got him to sign one. <laughs> yeah, at what? It is money for charity, though, so well done, Connor Goldson, although I'd point out that mine was a bit cheaper. The one I got a couple of weeks ago was just... Now, now what you should do is phone Connor and sell it to him and see if there were, or, or phone the guy who um, probably came second in the bid. Nah, presumably he would have been a bit like nine grand or whatever. Yeah, that, there's, there's, there's money to be made here, David. There's money I've, to be made I've, I've got one that, that uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't know it was going to be worth that much. Actually, in terms of old tops, as people might know, I don't know if, uh, if I've mentioned this before, but I collect old Rangers tops. And there are certain ones that are very rare to get your hands on. Um, so was kind of shocking about it. And I realised, actually, I remember years ago I gave, um, you know, the 97 to 99 one, the one yeah. 10 that old, but more famous for advocates first year. I'd given mine away to someone and never replaced it. So online, found the one in good good neck, bought it uh, on eBay. And then there was a match-worn admirable admiral top, long-sleeved match-worn admiral top from 1990. And these are like rocking horse shit, as you can imagine. Guess yeah. how much it went for? Oh, God, something like 200-odd quid or something, I would imagine. 540. Jesus. Yes, and I might well be rolling in blue pounds, but I didn't have that. But, I mean, if you've got an Admiral top from back then, um, I've got the away one, it's the home one I need, but if you've got the the away one from back then, you know, hit me up, I've got a few bob, david at heartandhand.co.uk, but not £500. But then, <laughs> that, that was match-worn by a player, so, you know, if, if it doesn't count if it was match-worn by you at school. <laughs> And, and the interesting thing was when you bought that Stevie G training top as well, it wasn't match worn, but it was by the time that you had got hold of him and rubbed it all over him. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, it's now match stained, but uh, yeah. that's a completely different thing entirely. Actually, I did come on and I'd put it on and just be like, hmm, you know, this must be how I can cross-dress her feels, but in a slightly <laughs> different fashion. Um, so, no, it, it's all good. It's all good. My wife was very understanding once she heard... Um, the, the unofficial price I'd paid for it. There's the two prices. There's the price I paid for it and the price that Sally thinks I paid for it. Yeah, of course. You've got to be realistic. Um, one other thing that came out of the event was uh, Joe Worrell, who, let's you know, call a spade a spade, was uh, half cut um, in a taxi with a, a good-looking lady and proceeded to shout, fuck Celtic, which has apparently annoyed um, members of... Uh, that organisation's following. Um, this is the club that spent us all week defending Scott Brown and saying it's just banter. But apparently, Joe Worrell's a horrible, nasty bigot. They, they always do that, don't they? They conflate disliking Celtic with bigotry. It's not. It's just good sense. Um, it, people are allowed not is, to like your football club. It is. And, um, it, I'll be honest with you, it's not the first time that Joe Worrell has disgraced himself in social media so um, I'm ashamed I'm actually genuinely ashamed because I think if you're going to call Celtic names just calling them Celtic's probably one of the worst ones that you can call them there's far far better names that you can call them so 
if Joe wants to get in touch, I'll teach him a few phrases and uh, labels that he can throw at them, which, believe me, are far more offensive mm. than just uh, calling out the name of the club. Uh, so, Joe, please get in touch um, and we can we can get you keyed up in some of that. And I don't understand why I've got to do it when you've got Al McGregor and Andy Halliday within, you know, touching distance of being able to educate you in such a way, and Jimmy Bell for that matter. He was half um, cut, to be fair, so maybe, you know, he had a lot of good insults earlier in the night, but, you know, David, if, I, if I was half cut and insulting that football club and all I said was Celtic, then believe me, I, I think my wife would probably wonder if I, my brain had been replaced by aliens or something, because the terminology I use is far, far worse. I do not condone it, and I do not advocate it, uh, but let's face it, we've all done it. One of my favourite um, drunken swearies came when I saw a young chap being uh, refused entry to the Garage Nightclub in Glasgow uh, around about 2002. And he, he had the, you know, the, there was the bout of pleading um, with the with the bouncers. But you know yourself, Cammy, once a bouncer's made his mind up, forget it. Um, so it went on for a bit and then the wee guy turned around and went, well, fuck you, you fucking fuck. <laughs> Maybe kind of illustrating the bouncer's point about being too drunk that he couldn't think of a second swear word um, to stick into his sentence. But uh, no, you're you're going to get that. Now, before we go this week, Cameron, normally uh, at this point we do the Hartson of the Week Award when someone has done something so mind-alteringly stupid that it could actually have came from the mouth or body of one John Hartson. But today, uh, there's only one winner, and that is a fellow by the name of Eric Chupomoting, who you may remember played for Stoke City and somehow bizarrely was signed in the summer by PSG. Um, and he hasn't really done that well against uh, for PSG, but he contrived the greatest miss anyone has ever seen. It's all over social media. People just put it in, Eric Chupomoting, and you'll see this. Um, Christopher Nkunu the the PSG winger wonderful piece of skill and he chipped the Strasbourg keeper and the shot was rolling harmlessly over the line uh, but then for some reason Chupamotin running in and tries to steal the goal you know like, and, and I'm not kidding from maybe oh, le- less, less than a foot genuinely I'd say he does that thing where ball's going in but you run in and get the touch anyway and run away celebrate and try not to look the guy whose goal you've stolen in the eye. Unfortunately, from less than a foot out, the touch he gets on it, I don't know what he was even trying, but he actually prods it back the way and it rolls onto the post and a defender comes in and clears it. So not only did he deny his teammate a goal, which is a bit of a see you next Tuesday's trick anyway, but he actually stopped it being a goal and that stopped PSG wrapping up the title last night. Uh, it's um, one of the most allegedly corrupt things I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, if you'd be raging if, yeah, I mean, if you had that if, on your if line. That, if that boy didn't have a draw on his coupon, I would have been absolutely stunned if, if that doesn't come out and and because there's no other way to describe it he stops the ball going in i mean he does he literally does stop the ball going in he wraps his foot around the the, the goal side side of the ball in order to stop its momentum and honestly stops it bang on the line had he been a defender it would have been cited as a tremendous tremendous piece of defending 
um, because he's not in a position where he could just have bluttered it and put it, you know, to one side or over the goal. He would have, to, he would had to have stopped it, which is what he did perfectly. Um, and yeah, denied PSG the win, and as you say, uh, finishing the title up early. I think the way in their next game, which means I mean they're going to win the title regardless. Uh, but yes, I would have, if I was a PSG season ticket holder last night with my party hat on, I would have been incredibly pissed off. Uh, the only so yes, defence we'll I can have for him in terms of it being dodgy is I think it was more difficult to do what he did than to actually score. Um, I, I I'm not sure you could do it. Trying it, it honestly was that bad. It's just utterly dreadful. And, yeah. Uh, oh, you, you, as I say, folks, you've got to, you've got to try and see it. Okay, that'll do us then from Heart and Hand for this week. No Heart and Hand extra on Thursday because sadly we're not playing this weekend as it's the Scottish Cup semi-finals and we all know what happened there. But we'll be back the fall. We'll be back next Monday with the show and we'll be back the following week with Heart and Hand extra to preview that upcoming Hearts game. If though you want more Rangers related content, there are, is plenty of it coming every single day over in Heart and Hand and Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Heart and Hand for just one ninety nine. You can get up to five shows every day. Think of it as like a staunch Netflix and there are whole series for you there you to binge on there's current events, daily news shows you'll love it, trust me, fantastic place to spend some time um, that just leaves me to thank our producers London, Mike Lee and Paul Miles and to thank my guests the splendid Mr Cameron Bell David, uh, a pleasure as always, go with Rangers Thanks for listening folks and we'll talk to you again next Monday, until then have a great week, bye bye Podcast Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.